This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Jose Borges, welcome to Viral Jesus. We have ADHD. We, we, we function from a newer, divergent ways. We don't have the atypical ways that we get things done. We try to be very imaginative. We start with questions rather than solutions. And so without the emotional regulation that happens, the thing that has become something imaginative, creative problem solving, just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then it becomes so big, you can't do anything about it. We are literally terrified, overwhelmed, anxiety stricken, instant depression. I can't do this. And it's like the most medial of tasks. From Christianity Today, this is Viral Jesus, a show about communication and the power of social connections, where we talk to some of the most influential Christian content creators to find out how they've made their faith go viral. Everyone I talk to on this show is someone I follow or was told to follow online. Most of the conversations you'll hear are with people I have never met in person, yet they've impacted how I think. What does it look like for Christians to enter the chat thoughtfully? Let's grow together on Viral Jesus. I'm your host, Heather Thompson Day. We have come to the end of September. It's the end of our September road together. I mean, it's actually fall now. It is officially going to be October next week. And I am especially excited about our episode today. We are going to talk about neurodivergence. And I sit down with one of my work besties, who also happens to be the assistant vice president of faith engagement at Andrews University. And I talked to him about his experience being diagnosed with ADHD as an adult. My husband, Seth, was diagnosed with ADHD as an adult, and so I watched that journey for Seth and thought it was just something we don't talk about enough, and so I'm super grateful that Jose Borges was willing to have this conversation with you and I. I also have a really big announcement. It's actually a really big announcement, and I've been told that I have permission to make it today. It's about something new we are going to be doing on the pod. If I know my people, if I have my finger on the pulse of this community, then what I'm going to tell you is something you are going to be very excited about. So make sure you listen to this episode all the way to the end because that's where I will make the announcement at the end of today's show. Also, oh, I wanted to say again, make sure you subscribe to my newsletter. It is free and it is a devotional thought that I send out every Friday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. 
You can subscribe by going to heatherthompsonday.com and scrolling to the bottom of my website and entering your email and hitting subscribe. I also always link it in the show notes. Make sure you are getting that newsletter so we can always end our week together as well on Friday. Okay, before we get into our main conversation today, I was finally able to get back together with Brady Shearer. So are you ready? It's been a long time coming. Are you ready for the first social toolkit of season four. This is where we discuss practical tips and best practices for entering the chat. We are back with long time viral Jesus friend and social media expert, Brady Shearer. Brady Shearer is the director of Pro Church Tools and church software platform, Nucleus. His work focuses on helping churches navigate the biggest communication shift in 500 years. Okay, I saw a tweet on the app. It's not a tweet anymore. You know what I mean? The app formerly known as Twitter, Brady. um, Chad Brooks, his handle is Rev. Chad Brooks says, call me crazy. If you are in a small church, and 70% of churches are, and don't really have great tech, you probably shouldn't live stream worship. Start a podcast, post sermons, share stories. It'll do a better job of what you actually think your live stream is doing. So, you know, I tagged you on this and you're the authority. I have to know. Do you agree with this? So churches not post their live stream if they don't have great technology? Yes. I, you know, I, I'm in agreement with uh, with Rev Chad here. Um, okay. An opinion that I have have held for uh, many years, close to a decade now. It's always been uh, an unpopular one, and it became dramatically more unpopular uh, once uh, the pandemic hit. And a few a few reasons for this, you know. Typically, I give the same caveat that Chad did, which is, hey, you know, Barna's State of Church 2016 has nine out of ten churchgoers going to churches of 350 people or fewer. So I'm really just talking to those churches. And for Mm -hmm. most churches of that size, we're talking the average small to mid-sized church, I don't think that live streaming your services is going to uh, provide the right ROI on the cost. And there are tremendous alternatives to consider. One of those, uh, I would say, is a YouTube welcome video. So there's a there's a church plant mm. in Arizona that does this exceptionally well, Passion Creek Church. You can go to their YouTube channel and see their welcome video. So they're a church plant. And what they do is they basically have a three-minute video of what it's like to attend their church for the first time. And it walks you through, here's where to park, here's where to take your kids, here's what it's like to attend for the first time, here's what a lot of people wear, uh, you know, here's how long service is, here's what's to expect. Because one of the reasons people will argue for live streaming being so effective is, hey, before someone ever comes to your church, they're going to check you out online. Yeah. My response to that would be checking out a, a random live stream out of the 52 weeks in the year might not be the most uh, representative way of showing off your church. And it also only shows a small sliver of what it's like to attend a church for the first time, you know, community in the lobby, what your kids are experiencing, you know, the the experience is so much more than just, uh, you know, the 40 to 100 and, you know, 20 minute service itself. Yeah. So that's one reason. Uh, I just think there are more effective alternatives. One, uh, you know, another pushback we hear a lot on this is, you know, well, what about the elderly? What about those that are traveling? Right. What about those who are maybe, uh, you know, homesick? And what I always say is, like, if that's your ministry that you want to reach, 
then it's really easy to set up like a really cheap webcam that just runs. You don't need to make it this, you know, $10,000 uh, production. And thankfully, live streaming gear has come down a lot in price. Uh, the main motivation for this opinion that I've had for the longest time is that churches typically are not able to do a ton in the digital realm. And so what happens is we end up looking to other big churches and affluent churches, and it kind of gives us yeah. this distorted perspective on what might be most effective and aligned with the mission of our average size church. And there can be a lot of differences between a, a big affluent church and yours. And so we, we, we try to be like them. But there's so many things that we can do with digital media that help us accomplish our mission for uh, a lot less money, a lot less time and volunteer requirements, and helping to fulfill the mission in, in greater degrees. And so, you know, I, I understand that this opinion is not something that a lot of folks uh, want to hear. We love when we do see, you know, churches like Passion Creek. Uh, they have grown dramatically, and most of their growth since the pandemic has come from social media and from that that welcome video that has tens of thousands of views and people find their church and they and they connect in person and then they attend in person as well. Um, so lo lots of options. So if somebody has a high elderly population that can't attend, you're saying have a webcam. Is it that the church maybe can live stream it and not store the video or save it? Is part of it like you think people will come and see this bad quality and then not attend your church because of what they saw? I mean, that, that's a part of it. I don't know if a lot of people are evaluating like quality of church based on quality of live stream. Again, you know, if you are a church of 350 or fewer, you're probably not going to be up to the standards of a mega yeah. church in that respect. So do you really want to try to like fake it so then people come and then it's a completely different thing than they thought they might be getting into? <laughs> that's so true. I just think like if you really do care about the the elderly and the sick at home and the traveling, you can have like a private live stream for those people yeah. who just really want to feel like they're a part of the community. I don't think that's like the trump card that means, hey, let's spend all this month's budget or this year's budget on the creative side so we can have this amazing production like the big church across the street. I just feel like there's some dissonance there. Brady Shearer says you should maybe think twice about posting that church live stream if your tech isn't up to par. Brady, thanks for adding another tool to our social toolkit. This conversation today is so good. It is going to be so good. And I made so many notes after we finished our conversation because I just learned so much. If you like this episode, Make sure to share it with a friend and leave us a review or rate us on Apple Music, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. That is how we get new listeners is by you making sure that you leave us reviews and rate the show. So thank you so much for doing that. Our guest today is the Assistant Vice President for Faith Engagement at Andrews University. But more important than that, he is one of my workplace besties. You know, I should do a show sometime where we do a whole episode just on workplace friendship <laughs> because everyone needs a work bestie. Everybody needs somebody to have lunch or coffee with while you're at work. It is my absolute honor to introduce you to Jose Bourget. Here is my conversation on adult ADHD with university chaplain Jose Bourget. So I am especially excited about this episode because you guys get to meet one of my workplace besties, Jose hey. Bourget. <laughs> He's here in the flesh. I like when all the worlds collide 
and my like online friends get to meet my real life friends. So this is a moment for me. So Jose, I want everybody like as we have this conversation, no pressure, but I just want them all to understand why we have so much fun together. You know what I mean? Well, it's, they will see and they will witness. <laughs> they will be a cloud of witnesses to the energy uh, that is shared between these two spaces right here. Andrews University is going to get so many applications after this episode airs because people are going to be like, I want to be Heather and Jose's workplace besties. Okay, so to start the show, I always um, pull something that somebody posted online. I do online digging and stocking for you because hey. my husband also is part of this bromance and he loved this sermon that you did. I think you did it last year, right? Yeah, spring, it's not even spring. new. It's not even new, but he still <laughs> talks about it. And when I was talking about talking to you on the podcast, he was like, you have to talk to him about the sermon he did. So instead of pulling a quote from something you posted online, I'm going to pull a quote from your sermon that was Ooh. posted online. Don't worry, y'all. I will put this sermon in the show notes so you can also listen to it after. But here's the quote. You say this, Jose. Neurodivergent brains experience a moment of anxiety and in an effort to explain that anxiety may take something small and make it something much bigger. This is how we create monsters. It is a way to make sense of the experience. So can you talk to me and all of my friends about what are monsters? Because this is what, after you talked about it, Seth, he references back to this all the time. Yeah. So uh, actually, I got that, uh, that idea from a book that I read. It's called Your Brain's Not Broken. Okay. Uh, it, was, it was such a valuable book for me to be able to read because I felt like I was reading about myself and yeah. my whole life. And until that moment, I had not quite understood why uh, simple tasks or uh, a simple exchange or uh, um, someone's minimal expectation would suddenly become so hard for me to be able to process, to interact with, to be able to achieve uh, something as simple as I need to call the insurance uh, and, and update my premium became something that took days and weeks, mm. uh, but it, because it became a monster, right? It just, just mm. grew into this oversized thing uh, that I could not work through. Uh, and I think part of the, the reason is, is because uh, neurodivergent as opposed to convergent thinking, right? These are kind of the uh, two different ways that people tend to process the world. But also neurodivergent people just means also that they're not neurotypical. They don't process yeah. the world in the standard ways that most of the people process the world. But neurodivergent thinkers in particular are creative problem solvers. They don't get excited about answers. They actually don't get excited <laughs> about uh, the fastest way from point A uh, to point B. And when you have ADHD, you need that dopamine drive. So in mm. some ways, find your motivation. Uh, you almost have to create <laughs> a monster because oh. that thing, that dopamine rush can uh, definitely help you get the thing done that you need to get done. It's just how it becomes interesting. But what many of us experience is emotional deregulation. So mm. we have ADHD. We, we, we function from a neurodivergent ways. We don't have the atypical ways that we get things done. We try to be very imaginative. We start with questions rather than solutions. And so without the emotional regulation that happens, the thing that has become something imaginative, creative problem solving, just gets bigger and bigger mm. and bigger. And then it becomes so big, we can't do anything about it. We are literally terrified, overwhelmed, anxiety stricken, instant depression. I can't do this. And it's like 
the most medial of tasks. Wow. There was a, I, I don't know if you ever were seeing one of those, the Incredibles, uh, the, the Pixar. Of course and, I've and, seen and, the, and, yeah. we were the Incredibles one Halloween, yeah. my whole family. <laughs> yeah. And, and then there's this scene where they're like throwing these bubbles at this guy to help slow him down. Uh, some sort of gel bubble. And it took, you know, bubble after bubble after bubble to, until they finally were able to freeze the monster. Well, well that, that's kind of what happens when you get stuck with the monster. Mm. You keep building it and building it and building it, and it totally immobilizes you. And you're, mm. and you're stuck and you're frozen uh, by fear, by anxiety, so on and so forth. So that's the idea of the monsters, that you take something that could be very simple, uh, could have a very clear, specific answer, but in your imaginative, inventive mind, in your neurodivergent mind, where you're driven by imagination and questions, you make this thing so big uh, that you can't even handle it anymore. How does that impact your daily life? Even that vocabulary of monsters for Seth, who also has ADHD, has been incredibly helpful because after, I mean, it can be something as small as texting, but definitely almost every time we leave any type of social event, the entire way home, his brain starts running through what maybe somebody's facial expression did about, and then he's thinking, well, maybe I offended them with what I said. Do you think this is offensive? And he's running through the entire scenario. And I say, oh my goodness, this has to be really exhausting that every time you're having interactions, you're, you're running through what somebody maybe could have interpreted wrong and, and making it bigger. How has that impacted your daily life? And actually, I want to ask you this question too. Because you work in ministry, I just, I can think now, like now that we have vocabulary, I can think of so many times for Seth, this is what was happening in his ministry, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. How has that Im- impacted, like after you do a sermon, how does that impact you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, everything you just said about Seth is one of the things that I love most about him. So sorry if we have these bromance moments. Yes, in no. This, uh, in this I'm so grateful. But, yeah, this vocabulary, yeah. Jose, I'm not kidding. When you first talked about this with him, it has really been transformative. And that's why I wanted to do this episode. Yeah. I, I think the uh, how this impacts us is very distinct to the individual probably. Right, uh, and course. what you've just described about Seth is that Seth is a highly empathetic person who has a strong desire to be a positive uh, influence and impact the people that are in his lives and that he interacts with them. Right. Uh, so he walks out of those spaces because now he's concerned, was I doing that? Right. So mm. he's kind of reevaluating whether he actually was able to achieve that thing. And if I think, because he is a highly kind, empathetic individual he is. Uh, for me, like after the sermon, I don't like negative feedback after a okay. sermon, but I do go watch it a day later. And then I get the constructive feedback afterwards, so on and so forth. Uh, In my everyday life, the practice right now, uh, actually, since using the language of monster, is being able to recognize this thing has become a monster. Just being able to name the pain. Yeah, yeah. Name the pain, and and it's actually quite liberating because now I'm thinking, okay, no, this is. Let me just get this back down to the simplest task possible or the simplest interaction possible. Let me remind myself of the core value that's functioning in this space. But just being able to identify uh, that this is a monster in the making. Uh, is the thing that helps me to slow it down uh, in this moment uh, when I'm confronting it in my everyday life. Uh, of course, there are times when I just let the monster uh, stay at, at a medium size, not the super size, and then I live with it. And then I have an, then I have a steady steady dose of anxiety that drives mm-hmm. my week uh, mm-hmm. until. And and Heather, I I love the Sabbath. I believe everyone needs to take a rest and to breathe. Uh, for me, uh, my monsters have resolved themselves in unhealthy ways through busyness. 
So I, I remember last year talking with you and Seth and just saying, man, I got back into my addiction. Mm. And, and my addiction is an unhealthy way of coping. The way that I've dealt uh, with my uh, monsters is through busyness, mm. serious workaholic busyness. So it's avoidance upon avoidance of upon avoidance. So there's an issue in my life. There's a monster in my life. Let me go distract myself with something else wow. that becomes too big. I go into the next monster. Let me distract myself. Uh, with something bigger and bigger, and it just keeps compounding. It just keeps compounding. And so addictions is where have been the unhealthy ways that I have uh, dealt with my monsters in the past. And that addiction has been workaholic, Uh, just hustling, hustling, hustling. Also trying to find my sense of value uh, through the hustle. If I'm working Mm. hard and I'm impacting people and I'm managing, one of the colleagues that I started working with uh, early on noticed this about me, that I was just quantifying my value uh, by the hours that I was putting in. So uh, one of the things that I've had to do to mitigate this monster is to be clear about the things that give me value and worth. Yeah. And taking time every morning, uh, taking a pause through the course of the day, just to remind myself, man, uh, God loves me just as I am. I have value yeah. because I am a child of God. Uh, is one of the ways that I make sure that I'm not trying to find my value in other things, right? And it helps me to mitigate my monsters. Having a Sabbath reset where I say to myself, whatever the thing is that is worrying me, that is giving me anxiety, that is bothering me, I'm going to take 24 hours a break from this thing or a two-hour break. Uh, You know, a few years ago, I went through a really difficult time. I went through a divorce. Mm. Uh, and I would show up as a pastor going through divorce. My congregation yeah. didn't know. My senior pastor knew, uh, literally experiencing deep levels of depression and anxiety. But I exercised a couple of things, personal practices that really helped me through that situation. And one was that Sabbath morning when I walked inside of church, I said, I leave all my troubles at the door. Mm. Any thought, any negative thought, I leave it at the door. And I'm going to be fully invested in the moment that's right in front of me. And that was ex- you know, for some people, sometimes when they go through trauma, they don't go to church. For me, it was the exact opposite. I went to church and I was able uh, to find peace in that and settle the monsters for just a couple of hours. And I think that's one of the key things about monsters and emotional regulation is reflecting on what are the things that help you to calm? What yeah. are the thought patterns that help you to put things in check? Who's a good accountability partner for you that will speak truth into your life, right? Be present with what you're doing, but also help you to like pretty much, you know, simmer down. Sorry, that was like a lot. <laughs> no, no. I So something that I love about communication is how you said, name the pain. Once we put language to things, it often loses its power over how it was able to control us. And so what I hear is somebody who has become very self-aware. I think that that's really important and it's something that I hope our listeners can take with them as well. Something you said in your sermon was that one time you forgot your ID at the airport because you were going to a conference. And so you told yourself, God must not have wanted me to go to the conference. That's why I forgot my ID rather than just say, you know, I, I made a mistake and I forgot my ID. I was interested in that because... I I do think that Christians in general, I don't think this is just people with ADHD. This is a Christianity thing where we will over-spiritualize our lives. 
And I just wanted to ask you, I guess, put your chaplain hat on. Why do you think it is we have that, that desire or need? Yeah, I'm going to take that a step further. I don't think this is unique to Christianity. I think this is also very present in even uh, mm. uh, New Age uh, ways of thinking. So we'll say, you know, God did or Jesus did. Other people might say the universe did or the universe said. And, yeah. uh, and, and that's what the intervention point is. I think we do that because we're trying to avoid shame, right? If I don't take responsibility mm. for this thing, I'm not the one that made the mistake. <laughs> this is some, you know, uh, divine intervention yeah. moment. So I think it's shame. And then it's also probably a way of coping. So how do I take this thing that I just totally messed up and then make it into something positive, right? Uh, so I avoid the shame because I don't have to take the responsibility for the mistake that I've just made. Then I want to cope by saying, well, let me see if I can make this half empty glass into a half full glass. Let me pivot into something positive and constructive. The coping side of that is great. Okay, this has happened. This disruption has happened. How do I make something good of this? That's, that's really good. Unfortunately, in that type of situation, the pivot to that was shame, which means if we're dealing within our shame frame, we're not really dealing with truth, which means we have a monster now sitting on the shelf that's going to come back and get us later. When we make a mistake, guys, it's Mm. not the end of the world. Making a mistake does not diminish your value. Making your mistake uh, is not reflective of you being a less competent individual. Mm. Uh, Making a mistake may be reflective of some pattern in your life that's not uh, working in your best interest. But if we don't take ownership, of the mistake that we made or the, the lapse of judgment and just recognize it for what it is, that thing will come back to haunt us. It, it will be a little, you know, we've heard of Elf on the Shelf. It'll be a little monster on the shelf that'll come back uh, and revisit. So I think we tend to right. over-spiritualize because we haven't developed the capacity to do that self-reflection and say, uh, I kind of, I messed that up. So w- what I should have done in that moment is just been like, you know, Jose, the day before you went to the airport, you yeah. should have looked for your driver's license. <laughs> That would solve a future problem, right? Like, so the reason I, I didn't have my driver's license is because I'm looking for it that morning, you know, obviously two hours before I'm supposed to be at the airport uh, rather than last night. You know, my wife is a planner. <laughs> uh, the night before the, the travel, she's got everything ready to go. Me, right, I'm like right. up four hours before the flight, packing my bags, doing all that stuff. Yeah. So the lesson here is let me just reflect on the thing that I missed and then move on. Uh, no need to over-spiritualize this thing. Uh, just just own it. And, and maybe that's what it does. Maybe we over-spiritualize because we haven't developed the proper ways of coping, right. of self-reflection, of, of growing, of self-development. Uh, maybe in our heads, uh, when we've made mistakes, we have our parents' voice in our face pointing the finger down at us, and we just kind of want to avoid that because it's painful. I don't know. There's, there's all kinds of reasons why we can over-spiritualize uh, mm. something. But I do know that when we do that, we actually rob ourselves of the opportunity to reflect on, man, what's going to be better uh, for me going forward? This episode is brought to you in part by World Relief, an organization that partners with the local church to serve the most vulnerable. Around the world, increased conflict, the lingering effects of COVID-19, and disasters caused by our changing climate have left millions of people in desperate situations. Many are fleeing their homes and are facing starvation, persecution, and more. These overwhelming challenges cause many of us to wonder, can I make a difference? The answer is simple. Yes, you can. When you join The Path, World Relief's monthly giving community, you partner with World Relief in bringing hope and transformation to the millions experiencing vulnerability around the world. And 
When you partner with your monthly gift by September 30th, your first year of monthly gifts will be matched dollar for dollar up to $25,000. Double the impact of your giving and visit worldrelief.org slash viraljesus today. Here's what I love about what you've just explained as we over-spiritualize to avoid shame. Brene Brown says that blame is the discharge of shame. Mm. So when shame makes us uncomfortable, the first thing we do is try to blame somebody else. And it, that that's exactly what we're describing with the over-spiritualization is, okay, well, God actually did it. Right. And that makes me feel more comfortable. Talk to me a little bit about what it was like getting diagnosed with ADHD later in life. Because yeah. this was, you were an adult by the yeah. time you found out you had it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was math. Math broke me. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It wasn't math. <laughs> uh, but, but it kind of was. So my uh, son in fourth grade was having a, by the way, I have his permission to share the story. I've okay. paid my copyright dues. I made a deal with my kids. <laughs> I, I, I heard an episode, I think it was a day or two ago, you were talking about kids and, and, uh, and whether we, how we use them in the public space and so on and so forth. So oh, yeah, that's I, right. A long time ago, I made a deal with my kids that if, I would always ask for their permission to use their story and that when I did, I would pay them. So I paid for this, <laughs> for the right to, to be able to share this story. Uh, in fourth grade, my son was experiencing uh, increasing levels of anxiety and depression. Our minds were blown. We couldn't figure out what the deal was, but we knew that school was a big part of it. He hated going to school. Uh, I remember at the crucible of the moment, at the pinnacle of the moment, he just said, Dad, I just feel like I'm the dumbest kid in the room. Uh, and so we took him to the pediatrician, took him to the therapist, mm. tried to, uh, to ascertain what was happening. And they said, well, this is ADHD. Now, my first response to that was the response that I grew up with when it came to most mental health things. Well, that's all in your head was, you know, is the thing. This is all in your head. You make it, it you, you just... So how do we solve ADHD? Well, you need to be more disciplined and you need to um, take, uh, not be so driven by your emotions. Now, all of those things are kind of true, but not with the intention that they were saying it. Yeah. Right. ADHD is emotional deregulation. And the solution to ADHD is a, is a level, uh, one of the ways to cope with your ADHD is to have discipline. Uh, but the way that they were noting is, uh, not recognizing what the actual issue was. So yeah. when I saw this analysis of my son, I said, you know what, I'm not going to do what I, uh, what my parents have done or what my grandparents have done and generations before me. Let me try to understand this. So I started reading about ADHD, trying to figure out, okay, how do I help my son? And I'm reading these descriptions and these behaviors and I'm like, this, this <laughs> sounds really familiar. Is this thing, talk are we, is this about my son? Yeah. You're like, wait, this isn't typical? Everyone isn't dealing with this? Yeah. Doing that research about my son is what actually helped me to discover it for myself. Uh, then I went and talked to my doctor and uh, they referred me to a psychologist and I did three hours of testing. And uh, sure enough, ADHD, uh, attention deficit hyperactive uh, disorder. Uh, and there's a couple of different spectrums on that. One is hyperactivity and the other one is... Um, uh, uh, inattentiveness. So I'm on the scale of being highly inattentive. Um, some of the ways yeah. that this manifests is I interrupt. Uh, I don't let uh -huh. people finish their sentences. I always, I, I tend to interrupt. Um, I can't stay in a conversation very long. 
So for half of my ministry here as a chaplain on campus, I would remember, I would remember I became very good at capturing the last few words that somebody said to pretend that I actually had heard what they had said for the five minutes before that. <laughs> because I, I just, I would look yeah. there and I, they're very passive, active listening, like, uh-huh, yeah. But in my head, I was somewhere else entirely. And I remember being embarrassed a handful of times. I didn't want to help. I didn't want this person to think that I wasn't right. present. I mean, I was. I wasn't. <laughs> but I didn't. I didn't. I didn't want them to know I wasn't present. So I just remember catching the last few words and using that as my pivot. So here's the thing about uh, ADHD people, uh, especially being discovered late in adulthood. You, most of us, probably are high functioning and have developed high levels of coping uh, with our. So that I had learned how to do that. Now I had no idea why I was doing that. Again, like you said, I just thought everybody else had lapses of judgment, right? Like lapses of like they just went somewhere else. I just never thought like, mm-hmm. how can I sit here and listen to someone for fifty minutes? It's just going to be very interesting. I just couldn't do it. So as I was reading the material, I became aware of it, uh, and then started to learn more uh, about the condition and. Um, I do take medicinal intervention. I, I take uh, Adderall. And gotcha. that uh, what taking the Adderall has done for me in particular um, is that it buys me buffer. It buys me a buffer so that uh, I'm attentive enough to be able to be sensing um, when I feel like I'm about to interrupt someone. So there's just enough of a break. Mm. There's just enough of a break in my process that I'm like, oh no, I'm supposed to let them finish. I have that quick thought and, uh, and I'm able to let them finish uh, for that. Uh, it also has helped me to be a better listener because I can maintain uh, attention. Um, and it's also bought me some time to figure out how to uh, cope better. I, I, w- I would be desirous of, and there's some people who can do this, to not be dependent on Adderall. Uh, but to do that, I have to up mm. some of the things that I uh, am doing to, so that I can function better independently of that. So, um, yeah. Anyway, that's how I discovered it. It was during COVID. And I say math broke me because I was trying to teach my son math and I, and I couldn't. I don't know what this math is that they're teaching kids these days. I don't think it's really math. Um, but <laughs> right. during COVID, it just blew up uh, right in front of me uh, that I had this thing and I couldn't function. Everything was just really loud. It also explained some of the ways that I had become sensitized to different senses and, and sensory things. And anyway, it's been an amazing journey of self-discovery. Uh, of how to operate in the world and also has been the pivot point because what I didn't realize is that um, the messaging that I caught when I was young and as I was developing um, were shame messages. And so it, it impacted a lot of my sense of self-worth. Mm. Uh, most people who know me, who meet me would not think I'm an insecure individual. I'm deeply insecure. <laughs> I'm just, mm-hmm. I, I, I question uh, my capacity and competency mm. almost on a regular daily basis. Am I really good enough for this? Uh, imposter syndrome. I mean, I'm just having to learn how to live with these thoughts, recognizing that they're not true, right? Uh, but not having fully outgrown them yet, not have fully uh, rewired my thought processes. So it's a, it's been an interesting journey in the last few years to try to unlearn some of the, the thought patterns that I've developed. Uh, and then and while I'm waiting to yeah. unlearn, learning how to live with these sort of, and we can go back to that word, monsters, learning how to talk to them and talk them down. Uh, because, you know, I spent 40 years of my mm-hmm. life with this messaging in my head about uh, whether I'm capable, whether I'm, you know, good enough, whether, 
Am I just strange? Am I fake? I mean, all of these, it's 40, yeah. that's a long time to be developing your neural pathway. So being patient with myself and unlearning right. those thought patterns has been, uh, has been a journey. I remember when Seth first got diagnosed and the first time he took medication, and, and this is also the same time he was going back to school. He had fouled out of school like three or four different times, and he truly believed he was dumb. And the first time he took medication and was able to sit down and study, I mean, he wept. And I, wow. I can still see him coming up to me and saying, I'm not dumb. Like I, my, I have spent my entire life thinking that I'm just not as smart as everybody else and I'm never going to be able to go to school. He got a, had a 4.0 throughout two wow, graduate wow, degrees, wow, wow. all because wow. of his adult diagnosis. And so can you yeah. just tell us, I want to make sure people have access to the book I know you yeah. didn't write it, but you're kind of an apologist for it. Remind uh, us, what is the title of the book and what kind of things will they learn if they read it? It's by Tamara Rosier. Yeah, your brain's uh, not broken. And I mean, it's definitely a book that goes uh, wide into some major themes of ADHD. Um, and and so, yeah, I definitely uh, read it. I'm trying to find a copy right here. So that's the book that introduced me into the idea of, of monsters. It also talked to me and helped me to understand uh, how motivation works. Mm. Um, you, you know, ADHD in particular it, uh, impacts your executive functioning, uh, while most people, uh, are motivated by some sort of logical process, uh, ADHD folks, uh, tend to be motivated by dopamine. Now, okay. someone who's not familiar with this will say, well, yeah, we're all motivated by dopamine. Well, we need dopamine to function. Mm. That's probably the biggest difference. Whatever impulse that someone who's not uh, ADHD has to make a decision uh, to, to decide to do something and actually go and execute that thing comes from an executive functioning center that tends to be more in the logical part of your brain. Uh, for an ADHD person, that functionality comes from the emotional centers of your brain, which is where the do dopamine and serotonin and all these other things are happening tends to be on the back. Uh, it's also where we tend to register our trauma. So you, can, so you can understand why ADHD people have such a, um, again, emotional deregulation. Their decision-making uh, in the centers of the brain where they experience trauma are so closely connected hmm. that learning how to manage those emotions and learning how to manage those uh, deep-seated memories are closely tied together. So that book introduced me to those concepts uh, of, of what motivates us. Um, also, this idea of not being alone. Uh, it, the majority of the world isn't ADHD. The majority of the world is yeah. uh, neurotypical. Uh, and so understanding that there's others uh, like us, you're not alone. Yes. It's super, uh, super helpful. Also noting that there's highly successful people. Most people, yes. you know, my dad, for example, is an academic. He's a, a very logic, or logical oriented individual. Uh, my brother is, I, I could call my brother right now. And he could be at work. And I would ask him, all right, his name is Salim. Salim, uh, three drawers down on your dresser, three shirts on the right side. What shirt is that? He, w he will know. Wow. He will know. I mean, he's probably OCD. But he, everything has its place. Everything has its Incredibly order. Incredibly organized. Very organized. Okay. He cannot imagine how I live. Like, he looks at how I live, uh -huh. and it just, he doesn't, he doesn't get it. Like, <laughs> Overwhelms <laughs> him. Completely. <laughs> how I... Listen, ADHD does not mean uh, that you're not competent, that you're not valued. It, you're, you are. Totally. You, and you have figured out a way to live uh, when most of the world is organized uh, in a way that isn't conducive for you. I mean, it's, 
So ADHD people are incredibly resilient. And I just want to add incredibly creative. ADHD people are incredibly creative. Um, I can say that about you. I can absolutely say that about Seth as well. There's one thing I wanted to ask you this. Um, Before we go, you say in your sermon, I loved this. You said that God is a divergent thinker. What did you mean by that? God is willing to take the journey that will best bless us, which means he's not limited uh, by any means by our circumstances, not limited by our environment. I mean, uh, who would have thought that he would take Israel to the Red Sea when an army is chasing them, right? Uh, so this is any statistician who's who's thinking about how you deal with armies and an escape route. I mean, redundancies, yeah. you know, we need this way. We need that way. God says, no, I can work with any given situation. Any, you put me any, there is no such thing as putting God between a, a hard place and a rock. I mean, there's just any place, any situation, any moment, any context, any story. Um, God knows how to get through that thing. So that's what happened with Israel and Moses. The, the army's on one side, the Red Sea's behind them. I love They're all that. wondering, what do we do here? Well, God says, well, easy. I'll just create a path through the Red Sea and just go through that thing. You know, so he has the ability and the capacity to think uh, in, in a multitude of ways that will deliver us, that will save us, that will yes. encourage us. That is the beautiful thing about God. He is a divergent thinker. There's not just one way for him. There's, uh, he has infinite capacity of ways for him to be able to save us, heal us, deliver us from things. Jose Borges is the Assistant Vice President for Faith Engagement at Andrews University. Jose, our show is called Viral Jesus. What do you think it means to be a Christian online? Oh, man, I think uh, to be a Christian online means to leverage every opportunity that you have to influence people with the gospel. I love that. And let me be very clear. The gospel is how you live your life with Jesus. I mean, you are Mm -hmm. a living testimony. Right. Uh, one of my favorite things about your show, uh, Heather, is that you recognize uh, that, yes, yeah, Scripture is full of stories. Uh, it's a collection of books. But basically, you spend every week, every day of your life uh, reading living books, humans. You're telling wow. their story. That's good. And that story is how God is journeying in that person's life. And the thing is, the more that I tell my story, the more I am telling others what God is doing in my life. So. However you want to leverage your influence, your space, just remember the story you're telling is a story about God journeying with you. Actually, before we go real quick, um, you've mentioned getting divorced. Do you want to share the other testimony to that? I mean, oh, you yeah. have an incredible, beautiful I have, new I do. wife, I have a right? beautiful, beautiful wife. Oh, I don't think I've shared the latest news with you, Heather. I guess this is the moment. So I have a beautiful wife. I have two older kids. Uh, one is a junior. The other one is an eighth grader. And then my uh, wife and I, we got married in the, the, in the land of magic, I think. That's New Mexico. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, something, I think it's the land of magic. I can't remember. I, I'm a Michigander, so it's pure Michigan here. But uh, she has yeah. been nothing but magic and miracle in my life. Yeah. Uh, we have a yeah. beautiful young daughter, Abigail, who is three. And we are expecting another one, April 2. Oh my yeah. goodness, this is a viral, a viral Jesus, Jesus announcement. Yeah, that's right, that's right. <laughs> Look at this. Congratulations. I'm so happy to hear that. Thank Jose, you. thank you so much for joining us on Viral Jesus. So what did we learn from our conversation with Jose Borges? Number one, people's brains with ADHD can be more likely to make monsters. 
something small can become something big that eventually makes you feel so overwhelmed you struggle to even face it. For my husband, Seth, and for Jose, naming it helps it lose its power. Saying out loud, okay, I think this is becoming a monster in my life. Should it be? Number two, your brain is not broken. It just works differently. You can teach yourself strategies that help you function. You can manage these differences. In fact, ADHD is one of the things that makes you incredibly creative. Number three, God is a divergent thinker. I love that. There is no problem you are facing, no monster in your life that is too big or or so complicated that God can't get into it. Your brain is scanning for really logical ways to solve whatever problem you are in. But friend, God has resources and prospects at his disposal you would never have even thought were possible. It is announcement time. I told you a couple weeks ago that there's been a lot of heaviness lately that I know people are experiencing. I know I've experienced it. A lot of people are really struggling with God and in their faith right now. And just, I, man, I know so many people who are feeling like, man, does prayer even matter? Because I feel like I'm praying, I'm praying, and I'm praying, and I don't see anything. So I wanted to do something special for you for the rest of 2023. Every single Monday for the rest of 2023, I will be sharing a devotional thought with you to help you start your week, hopefully feeling encouraged and uplifted. The devotional episodes that come out on Mondays for the rest of 2023 will always be under 10 minutes. So they're going to be really short You're still going to get your regular Viral Jesus episode with a great guest that comes out every Thursday. And don't forget, subscribe to my newsletter because you can get a written devotional thought from me every single Friday evening. But for the rest of 2023, I just, I want to help you finish strong. We have 13 weeks left in 2023, and we are going to give this year all we've got. We're going to give it all we've got, strength in numbers, and we're going to do it together. So all I am asking of you is I have just one request. If you like the short five to seven minute devotional thought that I give you every Monday on Viral Jesus, can you just share that with a friend? Can you send it every Monday? Just send it to a family member or a friend or your workplace bestie. Encourage someone else. Never miss out on the opportunity to bring encouragement to someone else. Make Jesus go viral. They will be short enough to listen to you while you're driving into work or dropping off your kids at school or just doing your morning prayer walk or just as you are drinking your coffee in the morning. Just start your week with us at Viral Jesus every Monday for the rest of 2023. I hope it helps you face your week with a little more faith. Viral Jesus was brought to you by Christianity Today. I've been your host and creator, Heather Thompson Day, producer and audio engineer, Lauren Joseph, and executive producer, Ed Gilbreth. Please review and recommend us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Next week, I sit down with my girl, Hosanna Wong. I'll see you next week for another conversation where a Viral Jesus guest talks 
and you and I listen so we can learn. I love growing with you on Viral Jesus. This episode was brought to you in part by the audio adventure series, Discovery Mountain. Help your kids fall in love with the Bible. Each true-to-life adventure story will draw them closer to Jesus. Visit discoverymountain.com CT.